This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. BCG's climate and sustainability practice focuses on partnering with businesses and governments to help them transform commitments into action and build a decarbonized more sustainable world driving technological and economic transformations to realize sustainable competitive advantage to know more visit www.bcg.com imagine driving into a fuel pump and asking to tank up on hydrogen or biogas hydrogen full tank please bhaiya 500 ka biogas bhar dena this makes one wonder if it is possible to think of a future without oil especially when fuel prices are stubbornly sitting at 100 rupees a liter mark thanks to the soaring crude oil prices India's oil bill doubled in the last financial year with the government doling out 119 billion dollars. And as the situation stands today, India needs to import 85% of its oil demand. So energy security becomes the main road to economic stability for the country's budget as well as for you and me. In fact, the government has set an ambitious goal for India to become energy independent by 2047. Yes, in another 25 years. How India looks to achieve this target will largely shape our dependence on the black gold. It's Thursday, 15th of September. From the Economic Times, I'm your host Kiran Somvanshi, and today on the Morning Brief, we explore the future of oil in India. This episode is part of the Economic Times Sustainability Forum initiative in partnership with Boston Consulting Group. I speak to Dhananjay Srivastav, Executive Director, Marketing Strategy at Indian Oil Corporation, Shishir Joshipura, MD and CEO, Praj Industries, and Anish Nazimuddin, Partner, BCG India. The idea is to understand how different stakeholders envisage the future of crude oil, a precious commodity whose substitution is much desired but not that easy to achieve. There is a single largest stakeholder in the entire energy ecosystem that has the most important role to play in shaping the future of oil in India. It is the country's oil and gas industry. Oil and gas companies are either facing their biggest existential crisis or getting the best opportunity to transform themselves. To understand whether they will be able to make the right choice, I spoke to Anish Nazimuddin from BCG India. Hello Mr Anish welcome to the podcast you have closely worked with clients at BCG across the energy value chain and have uh, led multiple engagements also on different aspects from your perspective how do you see the future of oil in india for an emerging economy like india climate sustainability has to be seen in conjunction with our growth and development objectives there is definitely a shift towards sustainable energy that we will see in india in the future but the fact is today our per capita energy consumption still lags developed economies like united states uk or the germany and also countries like china and russia and if you compare it against the world average we are at a third compared to the global per capita energy consumption 
So as the economy grows, as living standards improve, we will see an increase in the overall energy demand itself. And depending on how much energy efficiency we are able to bring in, the growth could be as much as 50% of the current demand over the next 15 to 20 years. Within this energy basket, within this expanded energy basket, we will see a shift towards greener alternatives. But with the overall energy demand itself growing, oil will still continue to play a key role, at least over the next 10 to 15 years and, and possibly beyond. So we will see oil demand grow over this period before we start seeing a flattening and tapering out of the demand. So for India, the future energy basket will include a mix of different energy sources, both conventional fuels and clean energy, with each playing a key role in, in meeting specific sub-segments of the demand. Right. So let's talk about companies first. You know, what are companies doing to become energy secure or to meet the kind of future that we are talking about? And uh, are their efforts enough? Yeah. So uh, we see different levels of readiness, different levels of commitments across companies. But across the board, over the last two years, there has been a significant change from boardroom conversations to firm plans for action. Companies are starting to look at sustainability as a key strategic priority. Oil and gas companies are also starting to lay down their net zero roadmaps. And there is an increasing recognition that they need to look at adding sustainable energy to their portfolio if they want to continue to be part of the growth story. Some of them have also recognized that this is an opportunity for them to become a key player in new energy ecosystems that are being formed globally. You know, that was interesting what you mentioned about oil and gas particularly. So it's a different ball game basically to get into something other than oil for them. But still they're trying. Do you see they will have challenges which they won't be able to overcome? How do you see them navigating these things? No, it's a, it's a difficult transition. They are used to decades of operating in a, in a certain fashion. And what is happening now is a, is a fundamental change which is different in, in many ways, in many aspects, right? There's a lot more that needs to be done. To continue to be relevant in the new energy landscape, oil companies will need to fundamentally transform themselves into energy companies. The immediate reaction of many oil and gas companies has been to add some renewable generation capacity to their portfolio. And that's to signal their intent that they are now an energy company, not just an oil company. Uh, but adding some renewable capacity in an ad hoc manner to the portfolio is not the answer. It's a completely different set of businesses that they are getting into. The operating models are very different. The capabilities that they will need to operate in these new energies are fundamentally different. The project economics and IRRs are very different. The funding sources that they will need to tap into is very different. So it's a fundamental transformation and thinking incremental will not position them well to succeed in the future. And, and they need to recognize that. So there is a need for companies to lay down a clear vision and blueprint for themselves for the future. And they will need to fully rethink how they are organized to capitalize on this opportunity. They have a, a certain scale in the, uh, in the space which is critical to drive some of the agendas that we are talking about in terms of end-to-end -end holistic ecosystems that need to be set up. And what about funding? Do these companies, uh, you know, get access to funding for their plans? How is the investment scenario there? So the aspirations that we have set out for ourselves are, are quite large. And so the quantum of investment that is required to get to that target is also hence quite massive. To reach our 2017 net zero targets, what the IEA estimates is that about $160 billion of investment will be needed every year from now until 2030, uh, which is three times of the current investment levels. Right? So that will be a key challenge that they will need to solve for and we will need to solve for as a, as a country. 
there is acceleration that we are seeing in terms of funding in the sector. Uh, there was a slowdown during the lockdown, but investments and capacity addition have subsequently recovered and they are well in excess of pre-COVID levels now. And what are these companies most excited about in their journey of this transition? What kind of energy options that they are more welcoming than the others? Yeah, so all of them have started with making some extensions into uh, renewable energy generation, which is primarily around solar. But now we are starting to see companies take positions in new areas like green hydrogen. Uh, and that's an area where there are companies in the country which believe they can address not just our domestic requirements, but potentially also be a large player globally and then cater to a whole new ecosystem that is taking shape globally on, on that front. Right. And how are they able to achieve this kind of uh, transition in the sense that what kind of help are they seeking? There are multiple elements that we will need to action here. You know, everything from policy support and incentives and tax breaks to drive global and domestic investments to interventions that we will need to do from the lending side of the business, right? including a broader definition of what counts as priority sector lending, um, mandates for green alternatives in certain demand sectors like hydrogen, and you know, setting up a domestic carbon market. These are all areas that we will need to address to enable this journey. Uh, but if done right, uh, this era of energy transition that we are going through can also become an opportunity for us and for our energy companies. See, we have two kinds of players, PSUs and private players over here. So do you think the private players being private, aggressive, have more chances of doing it well? So I think both sets of companies, if they get their strategy right, can, can capitalize on this opportunity. But it is about two things. One is having that clear vision today that this is the future that I envisage for ourselves. As a company, they need to have that clarity on what they want to be in the future. The second part is they will need to fundamentally think about this new businesses differently. They will need to find a way of giving these new businesses enough space within their setup. They will need to find ways of ensuring that they are able to get the funding that is needed for those ventures. And they will need to you know, fundamentally change the way they think about these new opportunities is from it being incremental to what is core for the future. And if they are able to do that, they will play an important role. State companies will also play a key role. It's CPSCs can fundamentally make some of these big bets. And, and that's the role that they've played in the past as well. You know, many of them took shape when India needed to ensure its energy security in those regimes, in those times and eras. Uh, so it's a similar role that they can continue to play going forward. If you see the Western economies, we are seeing the energy bills really going up and all. So over here in India, when I look at being a consumer of oil and gas and electricity and energy, how should I see things changing for me? No, absolutely. Uh, with greener energy taking a larger share in the portfolio, the consumer will stand to benefit. Renewable energy is already cheaper than coal-based energy in India. And the larger the share of solar and other renewable forms of energy in the energy basket, that should ultimately translate into a lower cost of energy for the end consumers. So from an Indian consumer perspective, greener energy, solar energy, taking a larger share in the energy basket will ultimately drive a reduction in energy costs. And we do see the consumer standing to benefit from this transition. How do you analyze this, the role of the government? And do you think it could have done more things or could have done it better? And what more can it do now? So um, we, are, we, we are starting to see the vision contours take shape. Uh, and the government is on a bunch of things 
announced its policy intent, announced a set of measures that'll help drive this transition. There is a need to think through that this is a fundamental change that we are going through. It's not just the way we generate electricity that's going to change, but it's also the way different demand industries consume that energy. Something like electrification of transport, where it is all dependent on oil today, there are multiple different elements that we need to think through. Uh, if electric vehicles need to become a reality, the cost of electric vehicles need to come down to a point where the total cost of ownership is lower for the consumer. And that's when we'll see real adoption take place in the India market. Right uh, Now, what will it mean in terms of supply chain? And that is something that we need to start thinking about because otherwise you're shifting one form of liability that you have today uh, into another one uh, in the future. And that's something that we need to start planning for today. Uh, the good news is a lot of these are still ecosystems that are being formed. There are a lot of technologies which are being assessed, evaluated. Uh, there is no clarity as to which one will emerge the winner. But it's important for us to get in early as a country in these new areas so that tomorrow we are positioned well to take end-to-end -end ownership of some of these value chains and we have domestic sufficiency rather than a dependency on others for technology and for solutions in this space. As Anish points out, the whole transition to energy self-sufficiency and green energy requires thorough planning and investments. It is work in progress for the oil and gas companies and that too a lot of work and technological adaptation. I asked Dhananjay Srivastava, who is in charge of strategy and marketing at Indian Oil, India's largest oil company, about how things are truly changing on the ground. Hello, Mr. Dhananjay Srivastava. Thank you for uh, joining in this podcast. It would be very insightful to learn from you. What are the changes at the ground level in terms of strategy that the company has undertaken? Thank you so much, Kiran, for the question. Major strategies are being adopted to include uh, directing investment in exploration and production to enhance domestic oil and gas production. Then there's a focus on shifting to a gas-based economy. Then uh, there's an increased focus on accelerating biofuel economy and uh, also expanding the overseas oil and gas portfolio and diversifying oil and gas supply sources. Indian Oil has uh, prepared a roadmap to achieve net zero scope one and scope two emission by 2046. And uh, Indian Oil plans to invest 2 trillion uh, rupees in phases towards meeting this target. First is uh, talking about green hydrogen. Indian oil will be producing green hydrogen in stages at the Matra and Panipat refineries. Indian oil has installed capacity of renewable energy, which is currently 237.4 megawatt as on 31-3-2022, which includes 167 megawatt of wind capacity and 69.8 megawatt of solar photovoltaic capacity. During the year 2021-2022, this capacity of solar PV capacity was 4.5 megawatt, which was added. And uh, alongside uh, in biofuels, compressed biogas, Indian oil is currently leading the implementation of a government initiative which is called a Sustainable Alternative Towards Affordable Transportation, Satat. So, sale of uh, CBG has already started from 26 retail outlets across various states under the brand name of Indigreen. And uh, in addition, uh, Indian Oil uh, has signed a tripartite memorandum of understanding with Poonawala Clean Energy Private Limited and Noble Exchange Solutions for exploring production of CBG. Talking about biodiesel again, Indian Oil has issued more than 30 LOIs to set up uh, you, uh, use cook, uh, cooking oil uh, biodiesel plants. Electric mobility is another initiative which IOC is spearheading. Indian Oil has set a target of installing 10,000 EV charging stations uh, by 24 and is working on tie-ups with various partners for setting up charging and battery swapping facilities at retail outlets. 
Right. So just here, I was curious because you mentioned so many different initiatives under different kind of energy baskets. Uh, which is the energy basket which is kind of preferred or which is something that IOCL is finding to be most promising among all of them? See, we are looking at firing all cylinders because IOC being the largest oil and gas company in the country and uh, we have the capability of uh, working in all these directions. So there's a major focus in our uh, mission and target of achieving net zero emission by 2046. And to achieve net zero emission of uh, by 2046, we have to look at all possible options because one option is not sufficient to ensure uh, meeting this target. So all these are looked into in totality and it is difficult to single out one initiative. I'm curious about the kind of challenges that they're going to be involved because this seems to be a very ambitious project like for the largest oil and gas company in the country to kind of think of diversifying in different kind of energy baskets. That is really an unconventional move. See, we always believe that we are an oil and gas company and we are transitioning to be an energy company of the country. So that is uh, what we believe in and uh, India has promised giving a brief on, in this direction. Indian Oil has signed an agreement with NTPC for the formation of a joint venture where Indian Oil plans to meet additional power requirement of its refineries using round-the-clock renewable energy to the tune of 650 megawatt by December 24. In addition, uh, Indian Oil Corporation, Larson & Tubro and Goldman Sachs back renewable energy producer Renew Power we have signed a binding term sheet to jointly develop green hydrogen projects, helping India cut down its carbon emission. Additionally, Indian Oil and LNT have signed a binding term sheet to form a JV with equity participation to manufacture and sell electrolyzers. All this is in the direction of working in ensuring that the company becomes net zero by 2046. Definitely, technologies are involved and in implementing renewables, a major challenge is financing. Renewables such as solar energy depend heavily on imports for solar panels, modules and other accessories which have become costlier by 20 to 25% since the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, India imported 2.5 billion worth of solar wafers, cells, modules and inverters. And from April 2022, the government of India has imposed a basic custom duty of 40% on imported solar modules and 25% on solar cells, which will in turn boost domestic production of solar panels. In addition, power distribution companies in several states discourage renewable net metering for the fear of losing business and becoming financially unviable. So all these challenges are there, but I think we are capable and uh, competent enough to overcome these challenges. And uh, no challenge is uh, difficult to surmount with the kind of uh, focus and the momentum which we have gained in ensuring that we become net zero as per the country's requirement. Well, here we have India's leading oil and gas company being upbeat about a future that may have oil being gradually replaced by other sources of energy. But what about companies from other sectors? Shishir Joshipura from Praj Industries, which provides tech solutions for energy transition, gives us a ringside view. As a player like Praj Industries, which has been advising companies, helping companies out for their alternate uh, energy solutions, how do you foresee the future of oil fuel in India? Oil has been literally a monopoly and I think that monopoly is, is set to break. It will still have a role to play as we move forward. I'm, we are not, I don't, at least not in my lifetime, I see an oil-free future. But definitely the importance and the role that oil plays will keep going down and all alternatives, the more sustainable alternatives will continue to make their path up in the overall pie. 
So what is happening right now? Oil was high carbon fuels. We are moving to an era of low carbon fuels because we want lower CO2 emissions, right? So that is the biofuel. And we are transiting to what I call as an era of no carbon fuel. So high carbon to low carbon to no carbon. No carbon will be green hydrogen and other derivatives that will uh, come there off, right? So biofuels are providing a very, very important bridge right now between this transition that is taking place. And the good news is that biofuels themselves will then iterate to a no carbon fuel. And that, that's the beauty of it. So so I think we are, we are into a very, very interesting time right now because whole energy transition is fulcrumed on the fact that we need to protect our climate. So whole cli- it's a climate action driven thing because a climate change is irreversible. So when you talk to companies or when you work with them closely, how do you find uh, them being cognizant of this aspect? So not all, but many are now waking up to the fact that we need to be more environmentally conscious citizen of the globe. Corporates are not saying that, you know, we don't care about what happens to the environment around us or what happens to our uh, impact on society. I think all those dimensions are what's popularly called the ESG movement. We are seeing a clear discussion in the boardrooms, but not only a discussion, but even then translating back into the action. I think there is growing realization and a growing commitment, both not only the realization, but even a commitment to move to low carbon intensity operations. We are seeing wind becoming a very important element of our energy mix, solar becoming a very important dimension of our energy mix. We are talking of biofuels on the mobility side, which is this is another important source becoming a very, very important uh, mix. And we are not done yet. We are, we are going to see, uh, you've probably seen in many cities, CNG pumps. But again, CNG is a petroleum-based product. But we can get a renewable natural gas, even an equivalent, even slightly better than CNG product that can be produced using these ultra-modern technologies that can convert a biomass to a renewable natural gas. So what exactly companies are kind of preferring? Because there are so many alternatives. Which are the ones which are popular, viable? Which are the ones which companies are comfortable investing in? So Kiran, this is a great question because I personally believe that ultimately companies are not machines, right? There are people there who are taking decisions. So there is not some robotics-driven decision-making or supercomputers driving decision-making. It's people who, who decides what corporations do, right? So, for example, if an automotive company, and we are in dialogue with several of them, they are saying, well, the future is more sustainable. So I need to create machines. I need to push my R&D dollars uh, behind technologies that will adopt a mobility solution, be it a car, be it a two-wheeler, be it a, be it a long-distance trucking, to a more sustainable form of fuel, right? And if I can start developing my machines that they can accept a more sustainable fuel without compromising anything else. In in fact, aiding the environment by not polluting as much as today. So that's how an automobile company is thinking, right? If I'm a sugar company, for example, a sugar company says, after I produce all the sugar, the waste that is left with me, can I convert that into usable form of energy, which is ethanol? But there is another waste that comes out of my process, which is pressed mud. Can I convert rather than just letting it... uh, smoke itself uh, to glory into a brick cleanse. Can I actually use that and use a biological intervention and convert that to a usable form of energy from renewable natural gas? A sugar company suddenly starts producing ethanol, then they start producing renewable natural gas. As they do that, they also get a byproduct called fertilizer and, and the chain becomes virtuous. So suddenly a sugar company is no longer a sugar company. It is now becoming an energy company, right? But what about the money, the funding, the investments? Are they also ready to put in that money for the future? So 
Kiran, I think it's not a mass movement yet, if that is the question. But very clearly, I don't think I find any corporate or any leader today say, come and talk to me and say, it's not important for me to think about being more sustainable. And there are different levers as, as we had discussed earlier. For example, if I'm an operating plant, a process plant which is operating, why would I not want to reduce my energy? Because that reduces my cost of operation. I will do it. There is no question. A movement has begun. Some people have taken higher leads. Some have taken because the regulations say so. Some are saying because they're thinking about the future. Some can say because they can afford it. Some are saying because they're forced to. Some are saying, give us time, we'll prepare. But nobody's saying we will not do it. That one huge barrier we have overcome. And then it's different companies at different point on the curve. And when you talk to companies, do they ask for the proof of how this uh, is going to solve problems? See, at the end of the day, it is very important for any solution to be commercially viable. And in, in my mind, that's an extremely important sustainability dimension. Because if I do something and I'm not going to survive, where is sustainability then? So I need to be able to commercially survive. For example, people, companies would ask us, what's my energy footprint? Okay, what, What's my water footprint? That is how much water am I consuming? How much of energy I'm consuming? And then say, is there a way by which I can reduce this? When you start reducing water consumption, when you start reducing energy consumption, you're already driving a dimension of cost reduction as well. And then that starts to play itself out and you say, oh, there is a better way of doing it. Now, if we are able to do this kind of a thing and I go to a customer and say, you know, I can create this solution for you because for them, it is operating cost reduction. It, it improves their competitiveness and it improves their margins. Why would they not do it? It's just that somebody has to make the attempt to develop the engineering and the technology that is behind it and profess that solution. So 25 years from now, we may be drawing our fuel and power differently. Our fuel and energy bills may look very different. The energy that we will consume shall be greener, accessible and may be cheaper. This does not mean that fossil fuel oil will be dead. It is going to be very much around for the next couple of decades but our dependence on the black gold may decline steadily over the years. And at the root of this change will be a slew of alternative fuels that India is investing in right now. It is partly due to economic compulsions and partly being bound by the pledge of cutting down emissions. But the transition won't be easy. It may neither be fast nor be foolproof, but it is inevitable. For now, we can just hope that the future of oil may not involve worrying about crude oil prices and their impact on our wallets. So that's it for today. You have been listening to The Future of Oil in India with me, Kiran Somwanshi, on The Morning Brief. A big thank you to our guests, Mr. Srivastava, Mr. Anish and Mr. Joshipura for all their insights. And thank you for tuning in to this podcast brought to you by The Economic Times team. Show producer Sumit Pandey, Sound editor Rajas Nayak, executive producers Anupriya Bahadur and Arijit Barman. We hope you like this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Do tune in to ET Play, our latest platform for all audio content, including The Morning Brief. Have a great week ahead. <laughs>